well as the worship together in song. When I was pastoring First Baptist Church in Yarmouth, Iowa, the church decided that it was necessary to put an addition on the church that would provide classrooms and a fellowship hall and some upstairs restrooms for the church. Up until that time, all the restrooms were all downstairs. There was no elevator or anything there either. And uh, I, I had heard that sometimes when churches went through building programs, churches would split, pastors would have to leave, and I, I didn't understand why things like that would, would happen, why that would develop. But uh, I had an eye-opening experience that uh, showed me how such things could happen when we had a building committee meeting to discuss the digging of a foundation and a basement as we're ready to get rolling with this building program. Uh, a couple of the men were, were sure that we should hire a bulldozer to do the digging. And there were also fellows on the committee that said, no, we don't, you don't want a bulldozer to do the job. You need a, you need a big backhoe to do the job. And I mean, the, these guys were entrenched in, in their, their position. This is the way to go. I didn't realize you could have such strong a, a disagreement about how to dig a hole. Uh, but, but we had lengthy discussions, passionate discussions. People were, were convinced. In fact, I think there were, uh, I think it was tongue-in-cheek suggestions, let's take some dynamite and we'll make a crater that's the size that we need. Or maybe we can get everybody out there and, and the congregation will all get shovels and, and we'll dig a hole and, and do it that way. Well, I'm glad I can report back to you that after these long and passionate discussions, the, the men were, were godly men that were part of the committee, and even though they had strong conviction and strong, strong preferences, we eventually came to the agreement that we should go ahead and use Clarence Marshall and his, his uh, backhoe to come in to dig the hole. The hole was dug, the building went up, thank God. God's being glorified there yet to, to this day. But uh, it just blew me away that there was such strong uh, feelings and even godly men could strongly disagree, but uh, thankfully it was largely respectful conversation that took place in our discussions, and I, I do appreciate that, that fact. Over the years, I've seen time and again where believers have strongly disagreed with each other and such disagreements of believers can be a, a threat. It can be a threat to unity in Christian families. You know, just the fact that you have a, a Christian wife and a Christian husband doesn't mean they're going to be agreed on everything. And uh, sometimes some of those dis differences, those disagreements, can be a, uh, a threat to the unity in the family. It, it can happen in Bible-believing churches where believers disagree about certain things that, that come up, and it's a threat to the unity of the church. But I should point out here from the get-go that there are biblical absolutes upon which believers must be agreed. Amen? Uh, we talk about the deity of Christ, talk about the inerrancy of Scripture, talk about salvation by grace through faith. Uh, there's not room for disagreement there. That, that's biblical truth and that's clearly laid out for us. We're talking about differences over non-doctrinal 
non-moral issues. And uh, here's a few suggestions on the screen there where we don't have uh, clear, specific, biblical teaching, but yet believers come to con conclusions, opinions, preferences, and, and get their ideas about things that are, are proper there. What you do on a Sunday. Uh, my folks had the belief when I was growing up that you sit in the, you, you have dinner, and you, you sit in the living room or sit out on the front porch, and, and observe the Lord's day. You don't go out and throw a baseball around. You don't go out and go swimming or do anything like that. And that's, that's the way that I was brought up. Other folks that, uh, in fact, even in my family, my, my dad kind of changed a little bit over the years, uh, went along. But, but if we took a poll today, we might find different uh, family practices in the different families represented in this church. Uh, wearing of jewelry and makeup. I read a little while back about a church that uh, where they refused to do the wedding ceremony in that church because the bride and the groom were going to exchange rings. And if you're going to exchange rings, you're not doing that that you're not doing that uh, wedding ceremony in this church because jewelry's wrong. You shouldn't wear jewelry. Well, there's nothing biblical uh, about coming to that conclusion. Uh, men having beards, that's kind of died now, but you know, that's still an issue in some in some cultures, we, we get into things like Bible versions and stuff like that in the evangelical world today. Music preferences, forms of uh, amusement, uh, whether you have a VCR, I guess that's all that, DVD player. Uh, whether you, you go to a film at a, at a movie theater or whatever, uh, those debates rage. And, then, and if you really want to get down to it, here, here's a real thing that can divide it. Handling money. Whether it's the way you handle your own money or the way that you handle the church's money. Believers can come to strong disagreements over things like that. I had a couple of deacons in the church in, in Iowa. They had, they had different ideas about purchasing cars. The one guy was just sure the best way you do it is you buy a new car, you drive it for three years, you take good care of it, you, you, you trade it in at the end of those three years, and you get your premium price for it on your trade-in. His, his brother-in-law, who happened to be another D, everybody in that church was related out there. His idea was you get a vehicle, you drive it till it dies. And, and you know, you fix it up, you drive it till it dies, and you're a good steward of the Lord's money in the way that you, you take care of your transportation there. Of course, the same guy that drove the cars till they died, he also had horses and put a lot of money into those horses. We won't go any further with that. But, but you get the idea. Believers divide over, over all sorts of, of issues about which we don't have uh, biblical, clear biblical teaching, clear biblical direction. And once again, just let me emphasize this. There are matters of absolute truth. There are things that are always right. There are things that are always wrong. There are things over which we should not disagree, but there also are a lot of areas where we don't have clear biblical teaching laid out there for us, and in those areas, we have, are given by our Lord what we might call Christian liberty. We sang about the chains falling off and being set free, and I think a lot of times believers don't recognize just how free we've been set. We're free from the law, oh, happy condition, what a... What a great situation that is to live in. So 
there are matters of biblical inerrancy, the deity of Christ, other things where we, we don't have room, dis, room for disagreement. But disagreements about such things and hundreds of others will, will always exist among even the most godly believers. And if we think we can eliminate that from our church, from our family, you're dreaming. It's not going to happen. No way are we going to be agreed about absolutely everything. Even my wife doesn't agree with me about everything. In fact, sometimes she'll say that I'm stubborn about certain things. And I tell her, I'm not stubborn, I'm right. So, you know how that goes. But we're just never going to eliminate the disagreements. And uh, one of the lessons, one of the most important lessons that we can learn as Christians after we know Christ is our Savior is to learn how to disagree agreeably. God never says, don't disagree about anything. Unity is not uniformity. God does expect unity in the Christian family. He does expect unity in the church family. But he never says there has to be uniformity, where we all like the same things, where we're all agreed on absolutely everything. That's not what God puts upon us. But he does give us clear direction about when we disagree, how do we handle that? And God cares deeply about that. And this is so necessary in Christian families. And it's so necessary in Bible-believing churches. We must learn to disagree the way that the Lord wants us to disagree. And the first thing we find here is a command in Romans chapter 14 for acceptance or receiving one another. It says, receive one who is weak in the faith but not to dispute over doubtful things. The first thing we find is that we are to receive each other. We're to accept each other. And uh, the, 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 term, the Greek term that's used there has the idea of receiving and welcoming and accepting. And the idea is taking somebody to ourselves, welcoming them into the fellowship, welcoming them into the family, welcoming them into our lives. Walking them into the, the, the church or the group that, that we are a part of. Well, we find that the, over in Romans 15, verse 7, the same thing's repeated here. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. We need to receive each other the way that Jesus receives us. He takes us to himself. Christ is pictured with open arms, hands outstretched to us drawing us to himself. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad Jesus isn't like this? Rather, he's like this. And he tells us that's the way he wants us to be in our homes, in our families, in our church family, to be like this. Not like this. Not just pushing one another away. Because we don't agree. We don't agree about this, that, or the other thing. Rather, it's, he says, receive each other. Welcome each other. And that's the thing that he expects of us. We welcome folks into the church membership whenever they're voted into the church. And it, we welcome them into our heart. And what a great thing that is. We welcome a friend. We welcome a, a brother or sister, a, a team member. You know, sometimes when we marry into a family, we get that welcome from the family. I thank God when I married Leah that her family welcomed me into the, into the family. And her, her brothers were, her, her brother was like my brother, and, and her sisters are like my sisters. And, 
that's a wonderful kind of relationship to have. And her, her mom and dad became like parents to me. And what a great situation that is when we can have that kind of a, a welcoming, that kind of a, an accepting here. We've got similar thoughts to this in, in other passages of Scripture as well. We're told in, in John 13 to, to love each other like Christ loves us. That's our badge of discipleship. In John 17, Jesus prays that, that believers will be one. They'll have that, that kind of a unity that, that exists between the Father and the Son. Ephesians 4, we're told to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And in Colossians 3.14, we're told to put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is a command. Let me emphasize. This is a command. This is what we're told to do. This is not a suggestion. This is not a marriage counselor making a suggestion. This is the Holy Spirit of God speaking through the Apostle Paul to believers today, and he tells us to welcome each other. Welcome each other. Strong command. And, and it's a continuing thing. He says, keep doing this. This ought to be our way to life. We go through life like this with our arms open, not, not pushing people away. Oh, you, you did me dirty here. I don't agree with you there. So we, we, we push everybody away. You know what? If you keep pushing people away, that's a pretty lonely way to live, isn't it? God wants us to be like this. Why? Because that's the way he is. That's the way Jesus is, welcoming one another. That's the command that he lays out for us. And the people he's talking to here and talking about are, are believers. That's the characters involved here, believers and, and brothers in Christ. He uses that term brother several times in this passage that we have in front of us. We're, we're brothers and sisters in, in Christ. We're part of the the same family. He talks about those who are, are weak in the faith. Now, he didn't say that uh, they're weak in faith. It's not that they don't have much faith, but they're weak in the faith. There's, there's some things they don't have a good grasp on. And, and some of the folks that he's referring to in this passage don't have a good grasp on the liberty that we have in Christ. We'll talk a little bit more about some specifics here in just a moment. But, but they didn't recognize some of the liberty that we have as believers. And so they, they would only eat vegetables. They wouldn't eat any meat that had been possibly dedicated before idols. And then he, he talks about those who we assume to be strong in, in the faith here. And we're talking about saved people. We're talking about Christian people. And by the way, he never uses that phrase here, strong in the faith. Because... We need to be careful. We start thinking of ourselves as, you know, I'm the strong one in the faith here. You know, we start thinking of ourselves in those terms, and what happens? We start developing pride. And, and we think we know more than somebody else. And, you know, we start thinking about that. Pride. Well, we, we may have strength in one area, but you know what? We, we, we have strength in one area, but how many areas are we weak? You know, and there's nobody that's hearing the sound of my voice here this morning that is strong in every area of our life or strong in every area of our Christian life. We're all projects under construction, right? We're all developing. We all need to become more and more like Christ every day. There's nobody in this auditorium that's arrived, including the guy standing behind the pulpit. It's all a growing thing. And oh, yeah, we've got strengths. 
But guess what? We've also got weaknesses, and never forget that. What's the Bible say? He that thinks he stands, take heed, lest what? Lest he fall. So he doesn't use the words strong here, although he does talk about those that have a, more of a grasp on, on the liberty that we have in Christ, in particular liberty from the law. And uh, we're, we're talking about believers and talking about the way that we're to accept each other. And, and the important thing that's in view here is not the matter of, of who's going to be right, but the priority, the priority is a concern for loving each other. The important thing is how we treat each other. He says, receive the one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes or arguments or fightings over doubtful things. Don't just welcome each other so you can draw somebody in and then you can straighten them out. You know, and get them to see things your way. Sometimes we think we got to get everybody turned around to see things the way that we see things. And you know, in, in certain situations, the important thing is not who's right. The important thing is the way that we treat each other. You know, how much do you think God really cares about how you dig a hole? Do you think God really cares if you use a backhoe or a bulldozer? And I could list you the pros and cons of each here this morning. And yeah, there, there's pros for one and cons for some. But, but what's, what's God care about? God cares about the way that men treat each other in arriving at a decision and how they treat each other after that decision is made. Do they continue to respect each other and love each other? And welcome each other. Or do they say, well, man, you didn't agree with me on that issue. Forget you. The important thing is being Christ-like and being godly and welcoming each other and receiving each other, not just on being right. You've heard such a thing as being dead right. You know, and I know driving up to a stop sign uh, and... I see the stop sign coming from the other direction, and I see a car coming from the other direction, and you know what? I've got the right of way at that intersection, don't I? I? I could go right through that, but if I see that car coming up, and he doesn't seem like he's slowing down, you know, I'm watching him. Because you know what? If, if he runs that stop sign, and we meet together in the intersection, and I get T-boned, who's right? I'm right, because I didn't have the stop sign. He did. But if I get T-boned, I may well be dead right. There's things that are more important than being right or, or on a particular matter or a particular issue. And that's where we come to when we think about these, these things we're talking about here. He says, receive one another who's weak in the faith, but not to dispute over Doubtful things is the translation in the, the New King James. Uh, this doubtful things comes from the Greek term diagolosimon and is talking about men's inferences or conclusions and preferences where there is no direct, clear biblical teaching that we have. Now, there may be teaching that's associated with it, but, but it's inferences that come into play. Warren Wearsby tells of how in, in the early days of, of radio that there were Christians said, well, man, 
uh, Christians shouldn't have anything to do with radio, and you certainly shouldn't be, be using uh, the radio waves to, to broadcast the, the gospel, because after all, Satan is the prince of the powers of the air. And so you should, is, there, is that in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the Bible. But to the fact that Satan's the prince of the power of the air means Christians shouldn't listen to radio or Christians shouldn't use op- the radio in, in broadcasting the gospel. No, that's not, that's not in view here at all. That, that's a, a conclusion, a, a, an inference that somebody has come to that certainly is not, certainly is not biblical. So we're talking about doubtful things. That's the things that, that are at issue here. And we find that... What, What's in view here in Romans chapter 14, he's talking about eating vegetables and eating meat and recognizing certain days. Well, as far as the eating meat's concerned, well, what was taking place was when they, they brought meat into the city, generally in the cities in Rome, the, the people to whom he's writing, and he talks about the same thing in Corinth as well, uh, that meat would be taken to the pagan temple and it would be dedicated before the the pagan gods. And some would be burned up and the rest would be taken down to the marketplace and it would be sold. And so if you went and bought meat in one of those ancient cities where, where polytheism was, it was and idol worship was, was so much in vogue, if you bought meat, chances are you're going to buy some meat that was dedicated before idols. And some Christians said, well, hey, what's an idol? It's nothing. You know, how many gods are there? There's one God. The fact that they have this meat in front of this idol and they say some mumbo-jumbo words over it, does that change the, does that change the meat? Does it make it unclean? Well, well, no, not really. So, you know, I can eat that meat. I don't have any problem with it. And there were others, many of them from Jewish backgrounds, who had very strict dietary regulations that they followed from the Old Testament law, and number one, they weren't sure that the animals were being killed properly, for one thing, and then being dedicated before the idols. Yeah, I can't eat that stuff. It wouldn't be pleasing to God if I eat that meat. And you shouldn't eat it either. And that's where the problem's coming in. You got the people that didn't want to eat the meat, and they're saying, I'm not eating it. I can't eat it with a clear conscience. And you shouldn't eat that meat either. And if you do eat it, you're wicked. If you eat it, you may not even be saved. And the people that ate the meat said, well, you just don't understand anything here. You just don't have a, you know, you're just really way out there. And you shouldn't be trying to put a curb on my liberty here in this situation. That's what's going on. The other thing was, the Old Testament talked about different days, holy days. Uh, talked about the Sabbath. And it had other holy days, Pentecost and Passover and whatnot. And and some of the Jews wanted to keep observing that, and they thought they needed to recognize those. But a lot of the other folks in the church, they said, well, which day's the Lord's Day? Help me out. Which day's the Lord's Day? Every day, right? Every day belongs to God. 24 hours a day, 60 minutes in an hour. It all belongs to God. And so you had these two things being disputed. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on, but... That's, that's the issues that were, were involved, and you, you didn't have clear biblical teaching telling them, hey, don't eat that meat that's been dedicated by idols. 
uh, in front of idols. Don't make, make sure that you keep the Sabbath day. Make sure you keep the feast day. Didn't have that instruction given to us in Scripture. And, and we could come up with literally hundreds or maybe even thousands of other examples here where we don't have clear biblical direction, but where areas where men form their own preferences, their own opinions, their own convictions. And, and what do we do to, to keep from pushing each other away, making it so we can't even work together, we can't fellowship together, because we have disagreements in our family, in our church, over certain things where the Bible doesn't give us real direction. Well, we, we find the contrast to acceptance here. Number one, he says, uh, receive one who's weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Not just so you can argue with them. Not just so you could give them a hard time. Over in, chapter, in verse 3, he says, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Number one, if you're not eating, don't despise the one that does eat. That, that term despise means to consider nothing. Consider somebody as a, a, a nobody. Make them of no account, treating them with, with contempt, just, just putting them down. And, and, and don't be judging somebody else. If you're the one that eats, don't judge the one that, 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 that doesn't eat and pass judgment upon them. Don't demean them. Demean their character. Don't say, well, if, if they were really a Christian, they wouldn't act in this way. Well, just because somebody doesn't act the same way you do doesn't necessarily give aspersions on the reality of their, their relationship with the Lord. You know, there are, by the way, there, there are times, we're not just to get into arguments, but there are times for discussing the believer's freedom in Christ with those who don't fully appreciate it. There's place for talking about things respectfully, even disagreeing about things respectfully. But it shouldn't be a matter of contention all the time between us and believers. That shouldn't be the attitude. That shouldn't be the atmosphere that exists in a Christian family or in a Bible-believing church. But the matter under consideration here in Romans 14 is the attitude that we have towards each other, the, the motivation that we have, the manner that we go about things. Did you ever hear anybody, anybody use the phrase, well, well, you can do the right thing in the wrong way? Is that possible? Sure, you can say the right thing in the wrong way. You can talk down to somebody, you can be accusatory with somebody, or you can be loving and you can be respectful. And that, that's what matters here. That's what God cares about. The way that we deal with each other in, in a positive fashion, in a, a Christ-like fashion. And we're, we're told here we need to beware, number one, of pride concerning ourselves. Thinking, well, I'm better because this is my opinion. I'm better in God's eyes because this is my conviction. No. Well, we all need to be received by the Lord. And how are we received by Him? By grace. We just sang about that, didn't we? We all need His grace. And thank God He is faithful in, in, in keeping us. 
We need to beware pride concerning ourselves. We need to beware of selfishness concerning our liberty in Christ. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a few weeks. We need to be aware of despising other believers, looking down on them, counting them as nothing just because they don't agree with things the same way that we say. We need to be aware of judging. We need to be aware of bitterness. We need to be aware of biters, uh, of barriers to fellowship. We need to be aware of biting. You say, well, that come from? Well, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another... Beware lest you be consumed by one another. What, what a graphic picture. Can, can you visualize that? Uh, the Holy Spirit uses some powerful language. Don't be biting each other. Don't be devouring each other. Whether it's in a Christian family, whether it be in a Bible-believing church, it's about demonstrating that love, that acceptance, that, that welcoming. You know, compared to what we Christians share together, uh, man, the, the, the things we get upset about, that we differ on, can be such trivialities. What do we share in Christ? We've, we're, we're sinners saved by grace. We're all headed, if we know Christ, we're all headed for heaven to share all of eternity together. God's our heavenly Father. Our sins have all been washed away. Uh, well, we have so much in common, don't we? So much wonderful things that we share in God. We all believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. We all know that we're created by God and given life by Him. We all know that we have eternal life because of God's grace and mercy. We all know about the faithfulness of God to us. We hang on to that. And, and we, we disagree about whether we should eat a steak or not. Disagree about whether we should eat pork chops or not. Disagree about how we spend a little money here, a little money there. And, and, but we can disagree. That's all right. It's okay to disagree. But be careful how we treat one another. Well, we do disagree. And we'll give you four reasons for that next week. We can disagree agreeably uh, continually by accepting and receiving each other as fellow heirs of the grace of God. We're all fellow heirs of the grace of God. And we see some reasons for accepting each other. God accepts all believers. God sustains all believers. Christ is Lord over all believers. And all believers, one of these days, are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and will answer for ourselves. In conclusion, let, just let me share with you. Expect to disagree. Expect it's going to happen. Whether it's in a family, whether it's in a church family, we are not going to agree about everything. But as we disagree, here's the second thing. Commit ourselves to Christ-likeness. Because after all, who's it all about? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about me being right or you being right. About me getting my way, you getting your way. It's all about basically we give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about recognizing Him. You know, it's all about obeying him and being the people that he wants us to be he's lord not about me not about you it's about him and you know what he cares about 
He cares about you and me treating each other the way that he treats us. That's what he asks. He says, love each other the way that I love you. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for such a practical book that you give to us here. A book that hits us right where we are. Lord, telling us that we can expect that there are going to be disagreements. Even among Christian husbands and wives, Christian parents and children. But Lord, we, we thank you. There are so many things we can be in agreement on. The important things about the inerrancy of Scripture, salvation by grace. And Father, help us in these areas where we may disagree to continue to put Jesus Christ in first place. Make him Lord. Make sure he gets all glory and honor and praise in the way that we would handle our disagreements. Lord, we know we can only do that as we genuinely know Christ as Savior. We're truly trying to live our lives for him. We ask these things in his name, for his sake. Amen. Let's sing together.